0: And you may be seated. I like to uh, include that uh, hymn in worship periodically because I don't know of a hymn that describes the life of a Christian any more than that one. Uh, sometimes the Christian life just simply boils down to standing on the promises of God and trusting Him with our lives. So we turn now to uh, the Scriptures and do we pick up in uh, our study of Psalms. I appreciate Mason preaching in my absence last Sunday from Psalm 101 and we move now to Psalm 115. You'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 115. As I read, remember this is the word of the living God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, But to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small, together with the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children may you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much allowing us this great and rich privilege, the freedom to do this in public, of reading your word together, studying it together, having it proclaimed for us. Father, we pray that you would cause us to treasure these times around your word and in your word. We pray that you would speak to us through it again this day, and that your Holy Spirit would take the words of this stumbling and fumbling preacher and use them effectively in the hearts and lives of your people. Father, we know that your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray it would be that today in all of our hearts that it would show us our need for Christ and draw us closer to him. We make our prayer in his name. Amen. Well, if you've looked, you might think that the title of my sermon asks a rather odd question which is do you believe in God after all I'm asking that question to a group of people who are spending their Sunday morning in a church whose whole focus is on the worship of God what is really silly question to ask isn't it do you believe in God the real question is more expansive than that The real question is this. Do you believe in God as He reveals Himself to us in His Word? That is, do you believe in a God who has made you in His image? Or do you believe in a God that you have kind of formed and fashioned after your own image? You know, many people believe in a God that they think must be a lot like them. God acknowledged that problem in Psalm 50, where he said, You thought I was just like you. That's a real problem because God makes it clear he's not like us. Return to those familiar words in Isaiah chapter 55. Most of us could quote it, we'll read it. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For God said this: For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my wa- your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The point is, God is not like us. God is so far. Beyond us, and so far greater than us, that we can't fully comprehend Him as He is. God is infinite. And we are finite. And we just can't get our minds around a God like that. And so, what we do many times, at least in our minds, is reduce God to something that we can understand. And that was the whole philosophy behind the making of idols, which is the historical context behind this psalm. People make an idol or a graven image because it's something they can control. It's not something that, they, that controls them. It's something they can understand because it's something they made, not something they can't understand because it's someone who made them. Now today, we don't have idols as such that we make with our hands. We may have a far more serious problem that we have idols that we make with our minds. We have these conceptions of who God is and what God is like and what God would do and what God wouldn't do, and many times those conceptions of God we have in our minds don't fit with God with what God tells us of Himself in His Word, and so that's the reason for the question this morning: Do you really believe in God? Do you really believe in the God of the Bible? In God as He reveals himself to us in the pages of his word. So we're going to go through this psalm this morning, trying to see how it is that God reveals himself to us. And there are five things in this psalm that describe something of the character of God for us. And First, we see in this psalm that he is a God who reigns. Throughout their history, the Israelites struggled with idol worship. It's a It was kind of like they're besetting sin. They just couldn't help themselves. You know, from the the, the making of the golden calf in the wilderness to the the adopting the religion, the, the idols of the Canaanites in the promised land, they struggled with idol worship. And they lived among people who worship these idols. You know, idols were attractive because, you know, you could see them. If you wanted to, you could reach out and touch them. Their idols were in their places of worship, they were in their living rooms. There were no questions about who their gods were or where their gods were. But in the Jewish temple, you see, there weren't any idols. You couldn't see a visual representation of God in the Jewish temple. And so the question that's asked in verse 2 is a very relevant question. That is, why should the nations now say, or say, where now is their God? Where's the God of the Jews? We can't see Him. We can't find Him. We can't touch Him. Where is this God that the Jews worship And the answer, of course, is given in verse 3. Where is our God? Our God, the text says, is in the heavens. You see, God doesn't dwell in a place made by human hands. He is, as the text says, in the heavens, which represents the place of supremacy and power. That's where the throne of God is. And that's the place from which He rules over all that He has made. I want you to notice in this first part of verse 3, the two aspects of God that we find. Notice it says that He is our God. He's a personal God. He's not just the God, He is our God. But He's also the powerful God. He's our God who, who reigns in the heavens, who sits on His throne, and so just in that one phrase, we have this wonderful picture of the closeness of God, the imminence of God, and the supremacy of God, how close He is to us. He's our God. And yet how far He is from us, He reigns in the heavens. But the text doesn't just describe where God dwells. It also tells us what God does. Look at the second part of verse 3. Well, the verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. What does God do? God does whatever He pleases. Or, to put it our way, God does whatever pleases Him. We've kind of turned the tables around, I think, in contemporary Christianity. And we tend to think that God's primary purpose is always to please us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, the Bible teaches God does what is good for us. But God does what pleases Him. We tend to think that we're the center of the world and everything revolves around us. But the Bible says that God is the center of the universe. And everything in this world revolves around Him. And that's where this psalm began in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and your truth. Remember what does the catechism say about the chief end or the primary purpose of man? It is to glorify God. And when we think that God does things primarily to please us, That, in effect, glorifies ourselves. But when we grasp the biblical truth that God does whatever pleases Him, then that gives Him the glory. Yes, as the text says, and hang on to this verse, when you struggle with difficulties in life, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Our God is a sovereign God who rules over all of life. Second, we find in this psalm that he is a God who lives or a God who is alive. In verses 4 through 8, we see this graphic contrast between the idols of the pagan nations and the true God of the Bible. Again, you know, Israel has struggled with it off and on throughout their history. And so in this psalm, there's a, a contrast, a stark contrast between our God is who is in the heavens and who does whatever he pleases and the inanimate gods of the heathen nations, the pagan nations, the idols made of wood and stone and gold and silver and all the rest by the hands of men. Look at how the text describes in verses 4 through 7. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound their throats. Everyone, those who make them become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Notice that these idols, verse 4, even though they're silver and gold, expensive things, they are simply things made by the hands of men. Isaiah talks about the futility of it. How futile it is for a man to cut down a tree and whittle off the limbs and carve it and shape it and put it on the lathe and, and make it into a God, an image and, and set it up in the corner and say, this is my God and bow down and worship Him. Again, it's about as foolish as the Israelites in the wilderness who Aaron had them bring their gold to him and he melted it down and they formed it and fashioned this golden calf. And folks, it's in the Bible. They, he says to them, this is your God who redeemed you from Egypt. They're just the work of men's hands. And notice how graphically The text describes how futile that is. Again, we're told that they have mouths, but they can't speak. They can't share advice. They can't give instruction. They can't provide direction or guidance or issues, laws, or commands. They can't give promises. However, our God is one who speaks and speaks loudly, doesn't He? Through His creation, we sang this morning, This is my Father's world. All nature sings His praise. He speaks through what He's made. He speaks through His Word. And He speaks through His Son. The idols have mouths they can't speak. Our God speaks so loudly, you have to hear. The idols men make have eyes, but they cannot see. They can't provide protection. They can't watch over and care for those who trusted them. But the Bible says, our God says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And Psalm 33 tells us the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. There's an interesting phrase in the book of Genesis when Hagar was driven out from Abraham's household by Sarah. And she wandered in the wilderness. And she ran out of food and water and she laid down to die. And God sent an angel to minister to Hagar. And after that experience, she said to God, You are a God who sees. Our God sees everything that takes place in our lives. The idols men make have ears, but they cannot hear. They can't listen to the prayers, the pleas, the cries. For help their worshipers give to them. But our God hears. Psalm thirty four says, His ears are open to our cry. And you remember in that familiar verse that is used quite often in Second Corinthians seven fourteen, God said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, from their wicked ways, then what? I will hear from heaven. And forgive their sin and heal their land our God is a God who hears the idols of men that men make they have noses but they can't smell what does that mean worship of the idols was many times offered through sacrifices and through the burning of incense but they couldn't they couldn't appreciate <laughs> The aroma of those sacrifices. But it's clear. God says that the sacrifices of his people in the Old Testament were a soothing aroma to him. The Bible says that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was a fragrant aroma to to God. The Bible says that your life and my life, as we live them in obedience... To his word, they are an aroma, Christ, to God. Paul even says that the financial gift of the Philippians that they gave was an aroma to God. God smells the worship of his people as as a fragrance that goes up to him. Folks, think of it. It's what the Bible says. Our worship is a fragrant aroma to God. And our worship is true and our worship is pure this morning. Our worship, even this group here among us on William Hill Drive in Meridian, is a fragrant aroma to our God. The text says "Our the idols that men make have hands but they can't feel. They can't move them, so they can't do anything for those who worship them. The Bible says our God literally formed man, shaped man with his hands. Throughout the Bible, there's continual reference to the hand of the Lord. And it's referred many times as an almighty hand, a powerful hand, a righteous hand, a strong hand. Many references are made to the right hand of God. Which is the hand of power and might and authority. Our God uses His hands in our lives. The idols men make, the text says, have feet, but they can't walk. They can't go anywhere. They can't carry any load. They can't bear any burden. In fact, it's ironic, isn't it? The people had to carry their idol. And instead they're God-carrying them. There are many references in the Bible to the feet of God. One day we'll bow down and worship at His feet. One of the reasons we'll do that is because we know He's carried us through our lives. Bearing our every burden. Bearing us with His feet. Now of course... Those references, those descriptions of God in the Bible are what you know as anthropomorphisms. God's a spirit. He doesn't have a body like ours. But the Bible uses human characteristics to, des- to describe divine attributes. Isn't God gracious to teach us the known or use the use the known to teach us the unknown or the unknowable now the greatest tragedy is found in verse 8 where it says this everyone who trusts in them will become like them those who make them will become like them everyone who trusts in them you see those who worship idols lose their spiritual Senses that become deaf and blind to the truth of God's word. There's a real sense, folks, in which we become like the one that we worship. That's a part of our worship, isn't it? We want to be more like the God that we worship. And so we want to make sure that the God we worship is the true God, the living God, the God who reigns in the heavens. Then there's a third description of God in our text, and that's a God who helps you know, we sing a hymn by Isaac Watts sometimes. It has the words, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Those words accurately describe, I think, what we find in Psalm 115, verses 9 through 12. Excuse, 9 through 11. Where it says this, O oh Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Again, into verse ten, he is their help and their shield. Into verse eleven, he is their help and their shield. God is our helper, and God is our shield. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't there times in life where you just don't know what to do? And aren't you thankful that God promises to be our help in those times of need? We've been studying the the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights, and when Jesus promised. They asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll ask Him to send the what? The Helper. You and I have the great blessing and benefit that is far greater than even this psalmist had. We have the Holy Spirit now with us, forever present to be our continual help. The book of Hebrews tells us to come confidently before the throne of grace. That from Christ we might receive grace to help in times of need, God is our helper, and He has given us the Holy Spirit and Christ to be daily means of help to us, but He's also our shield, our defender, our protector. you know when when God called the descendants of Abraham to himself, brought them to be his own people, he promised. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And part of their promise included to be their defender and their protector, to be their shield. Some things happen in our lives, we think maybe God let his shield down and something hit us that shouldn't have hit us. Folks, that never happens. Never happens. God always shields us from every danger. And again, the promise is always true. God does whatever He pleases, but He always promises to work whatever it is together for your good and for His glory. And I want you to notice the admonition that comes from this threefold reminder that God is our help and our shield. It is. And we're to trust in the Lord. He says it three times also. Verse nine: O Israel, trust in the Lord. Verse ten: O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. Verse eleven: You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. We are to trust Him every moment of every day, and the more you know that He truly is your help and your shield, the better able you'll be to help to trust Him. And then there's a fourth description of God in our text and that's a God who blesses us we find that in verses uh, verses 12 through 15 you see God isn't this this mean ogre in heaven who holds things tightly and gives only grudgingly no God loves us he loves his people and he loves to give to his people after all isn't that what John 3 16 God so loved the world that he what he gave And He gives us blessings. He loves to bless us. Notice, again, the repetition of it. In verses 9 through 11, the repetition was, God is our help and our shield, and therefore we're to trust Him. Three times it said that. Notice the repetition of the blessings, beginning with verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great, May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Now, there's a real sense in which the psalmist is still contrasting the idols of men with the true and the living God. The idols are no help. The idols are no shield. The idols provide no blessings. But our God does all those things. Now notice how personal these blessings are. Verse 13. he will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. God's no distinguisher of people. He gives His blessings to the small as well as to the great. Verse 14. He blesses our families. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Think of it. Again, don't pass over it too quickly. These are the blessings that come from the creator, from the one who made heaven and earth. And if you want to know the most profound thing, perhaps in this whole psalm this morning, that is it. Do you realize how magnificent our God must be who is the creator of all there is, this vast universe in which we live? And yet this God, this maker of heaven and earth chooses to bless you and to bless you and to bless you and to bless me. Folks, that's amazing that this sovereign God who reigns in the heavens who does whatever he pleases who made heaven and earth who rules sovereignly of all there is blesses you in specific and particular ways. It pleases us when we acknowledge that. When we give God the praise for it and that's what we see in the last point which is the fifth description of God we find in our text, and that is a God is a God who is worthy of all of our praise. You know, verse 16 tells us what we've seen before. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. God reigns in the heavens. And he goes on to say, But the earth is given to the sons of men. God reigns in heaven. He's created the earth. He's put us here. You know the cultural mandate found in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful. Multiply. Subdue the earth. Tend it. Take care of it. God's given the earth to the sons of men. We're responsible for taking care of this world in which we live. While God reigns in the heavens. Now, verse 17 has given some people trouble over the years. I believe it makes complete sense in the context of the psalm. What we find in verse 17 is this, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Well, this psalm has been talking about the futility of idol worship, hasn't it? How those who make them will become like them. Not only are the, are the idols spiritually dead, But those who worship them are spiritually dead, and the dead don't praise the Lord, either in this life or in the life to come. And then there's the great contrast between verses 17 and 18. While the dead don't praise the Lord, while those who are do not acknowledge Him, do not honor Him as God, we do. But as for us, the text says, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. This psalm begins and ends with that note of praise. Verse 1 Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Then it goes through this graphic description of the futility of idols. And how they don't and the worshipers of them don't give praise to God. But it ends with that wonderful assurance. But as for us, we will. As for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. This psalm gives us great reason for doing that, doesn't it? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. He sovereignly rules over this world He's made. He is a God who's alive. A God who lives. A God who ministers to you every day. He's a God who is aware of everything that you do. He's a God who blesses His people in particular ways. And for all of that, all of that, And especially because of the gift of His Son to be our Savior. We'll bless Him now and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that You are such a God as described here in this song, And we pray that we would embrace You as such. We would believe in You as You reveal Yourself to us in Your Word. And Father, may we give You all the praise and glory because of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.